hold the silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through Matrix on the 6th of October 2008. Newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and download as many of the previous talks I've given as possible. Listen to them at your leisure and I try and give you the shortcuts into the big picture of what has been running this world and why events are currently in the media are there and where it's all going. Then you'll find out that we're just living through a script, a script written by big powerful agencies and institutions which all work together globally to bring in what they call globalization, the new world order, the new economic order, and many other terms all meaning the same thing. Also look into Alan Watts, sentient, sentinel.eu for transcripts which you can download and print up. Transcripts of the shows I've done in the past. And they're in the various languages of Europe. And beware of all mimicking sites. There are some sites out there that mimic me. And if you went to those pages, you'd think it was me. And you get trailed off into anti-Semitic sites. That's defamation. That's intentional. And I'm working on these ones right now. I allow them to do the right thing and then I come down on them pretty heavily. Because when you're doing what I'm doing, you expect to be attacked from different quarters, and you do get attacked, indeed, by dirty campaigns. So beware if you go into other sites. If, if they're not on my website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, they are not mine. And it's the same with forums. Don't be tracked into forums that pretend that they have my authority or that I'm involved with them because I'm involved with no forums whatsoever. I think personally that anyone who does get sucked into them is asking for trouble because in the cyber wars, and there are cyber wars out there run by big agencies, they're either all infiltrated or the agencies started them up in the first place and they use the willing fools that join to do their dirty work Well, it's the willing fools to take the heat when legalities come down. That's why they're set up that way. So beware of them. And we are going through amazing changes. There's war on all fronts. As I say, there's war in cyberspace. I've read the articles from mainstream media and the military to do with this particular type of warfare, dirty tricks. And they use all different kinds of means to, to do it. The civilian population in modern warfare that has been since the 1930s are fair game because they call it total war. Total war was being preached by Britain before any other country, and they taught that at Sandhurst back in the 30s and even trained uh, one of the main generals that Hitler used in Sandhurst along this particular course where the populations were now the targets. And the idea being that if you flatten the populations, uh, then literally they can't vote for anybody or, or back anybody up or even be a, an unwilling slave to them. You just destroy the populations. 
similar to what they did during World War II, where Dowding, the, the big commander-in-chief of the Air Force in Britain, bombed and flattened the workers' homes that, that, who were working in the factories. That's how modern warfare is. But it's moved into other fields now as well, to see, uh, especially to do with Internet and communication and it just astounds me to think that people still blab everything out on the Internet, thinking that somehow information is kept quiet between people when it's shared and it's also interfered with by the big agencies who are at war with the public. And I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. I've been talking about this financial hoopla we've had for the last couple of weeks and the ramifications of it and really the things that are behind it, big forces behind it, because you cannot have a global system, a global government uh, run in a socialistic fashion, which is really closer to communistic fashion for the people, that is, for the majority of the people with a big fascist rule on top. But you can't do it without integrating all economies, and that's what they've been working on for many years. In fact, many of the treaties, the GATT Treaty and so on, had much more to do with the integration of economies together, the idea being, and this is what war is about, modern warfare is the creation of empires. You must, you must have conflicts, you see, to create empires, and then you, and how you get the empire together is by signing treaties and binding you all together against those guys over there. Meanwhile, those guys over there are binding other countries into themselves to defeat you. And out of it all, you unite together. And now you've got half the planet or three quarters of the planet. That's how you play this game. And the Cold War was so necessary to bring it about. And it's interesting, too, during the Rees Commission by Senator Dodds, when he talked to the foundation heads at Ford and Carnegie and so on, he was told by the one in charge of Ford, the CEO of Ford, that their job was to integrate the system of the Soviets seamlessly and easily into that of America. That was always the plan. He was told the truth, and it almost floored them, because who would have guessed? Who would have guessed that this was rigged? Empires were built, and this century is to be the new American century, but it's not the American people's century because the American people are lumped along with every population on the planet. They have no special favors to give the American people, but they will use the might and the technological know-how and the military to, to bring this whole all about across the planet. But they must have a completely seamless, interdependent, interlocked economic system. And I said that what will come out of this will be cries cries like slogans, and that's what you get, you see, like weapons of mass destruction, when they all come out at the top through the major media and major figures, speaking the same catchphrases and giving out the same slogans, you know it's a coordinated effort that's been pre-planned. This is what they call a, a coordinated front to the press. That's what they call it. And then the public will think, as they daydream through life, that everything must be so. I guess it's the only way to get out of this particular problem. They don't think of any alternatives. 
and they cannot never see the, the, the real plan behind it. And Yahoo News Canada, uh, this is a, an article that was put out a couple of days ago, I think. It says here, Paris, IMF Chief Dominique Strauss-Kahn, I wonder if he's a relative of Genghis, uh, called Saturday on European countries to provide a united response to the financial crisis following talks with French President Nicolas Sarkozy. In Europe, there's a need for coordination, Strauss-Kahn told journalists hours before a mini-summit of European leaders. It has to be indicated to the markets that European countries will not react to every man for himself. The situation is very worrying. The bank's losses are the worst we've ever seen, the International Monetary Fund's chairman warned. The IMF thinks it's a global problem, see, it's a global problem, you see, that needs a global response. And then they go on and on and on, and what they're prattling about is setting up a, a centralized system for Europe, which also means, you see, you have a centralized system for the Americas, that's guaranteed, and one for the Far East as well. That falls right in with the three trading blocks that Karl Marx talked about in the 1800s. And when he was talking about this, and this also means, too, that when one country's banks go under, the other countries will bail them out. We also saw some of this not so long ago, a few years ago, when the man that was touted to head NAFTA, the most trusted man to head NAFTA, who was the president of Mexico, ran off with the treasury of Mexico uh, after it was all in the newspapers. He ran off and uh, ended up living in a few different countries, including Canada and then Ireland. But the U.S. and Canada had to bail out Mexico then. We forget that. It's already been done. But now they want to set up organizations in each trading block which will, will be subject to the World Bank. That's what it's all about. This is all strategy. And we're just watching and living through the, the act. The play is working itself out right now. And then you find this backed up as well by an article from theguardian.co.uk. It says here, this is Friday, October the 3rd, Brown convenes economic war cabinet to help UK through credit crunch. Gordon Brown has convened an economic war cabinet to bolster Britain against increasingly turbulent conditions in world markets and appointed Paul Miners, chairman of Land Securities and Guardian Media Group, as city minister. It says here, quite simply, the new era, there's a new era, remember, that we have entered requires new ways of governing, new ways of governing. This is the, about global governance they're talking about. Brown explained of the creation of the National Economic Council. We don't just need to change policies to deal with the new financial difficulties, but the way we t take decisions, the way we govern, has got to change as well. The creation of the council is one of several changes wrought by Brown in order to deal with the fallout from the past few weeks, which have seen the world's credit markets seize up, investment banks collapse, the effective nationalization of Bradford and Bingley, another big bank over there, and the government forced to guarantee personal saving deposits up to £50,000 amid fears that even more high street banks could fail. The NEC was immediately branded by the city as an economic war cabinet. Call it what you will, Brown responded. The important thing to say is that we are taking all the action that is necessary and we will do whatever it takes to ensure not just the stability of the economy, but also that we get the economy onto a 
a new path of growth. People can see we are being fair in the way we deliver prosperity for the future. It doesn't define who it's to, though. He says, these are new times. The global economy, the global economy will never be the same again. Now, that's what we heard after 9-11. The world will never be the same again. Well, here's another major statement. The global economy will never be the same again. Remember that. Remember that everything economic-wise is going to change. He says, huge changes are taking place. We have to deal with it in a new way. And guess what? It's all pre-planned, this wonderful new way. And then they go on to list all the different people who's in this new economic war cabinet. And they're knighting them all. They're they're, they're knighting every single one of them. So they can all be peers of each other. Understand when you get knighted, you cannot be tried by a general jury. You must be tried by a jury of your peers. So they're above, you might say, the common ordinary law. Quite interesting. And that's why they're getting knighted. So we've got one after the other, the IMF chief, you've got, you've got uh, Brown in Britain, and you've got the European leader, all crying out for this new global system, a new way of, of dealing with finance. But there's also another article that's important too, because with the weather warfare that's going on, and it's not weather warfare between nations, it's unfortunately war upon people's own populations or government's own populations. That's why your own governments will not discuss it, all the aerial spraying and so on. Uh, But the food in Britain has been pretty well uh, come to a standstill because of the incredible rain they've had all summer, very much like we've had here in Canada and across the breadbasket of Canada and the United States. Uh, The breadbaskets of both countries, or three countries there, were flooded out. And here in Ontario... There was daily rain and thunderstorms for two and a half months. Mind you, you could get up early and watch some spring the blazes out of the sky. So, guess what? You don't have as many spuds as you used to have. All your veggies, etc., are down. They're going to be rather scarce come this winter, and everything will go up. But meanwhile, you also have the NGOs, you know, these non-governmental organizations which are based on the Soviet system, the Soviet, uh, on the exoteric level, had to pretend it was run by the people, so they they had non-governmental organizations. That's what the Soviets mean, ruled by councils. And these NGOs pretended they spoke on behalf of the people, but the heads of them all were appointed by the Politburo, and it's the same on the West. Remember that article I read before by Norman Dodd, but a few months back, where he talked about the Sovietization system we've brought into America. Well, it's here. And it's across the Western world as well. It also ties in with the article I read from the Club of Rome, where they said that they looked at all the systems of the world for controlling and governing the people, and they favored collectivism. They meant the Soviet system. So they're using it all. And I've also mentioned that warfare, and all that comes in war, that means people moving, being moved, uh, as refugees, um, food rationing, gasoline rationing, will all come through in this war because they must create a full world war situation. And they're using NGOs to push some of these parts. They call them actors, by the way, these NGO groups. And this article is from the theguardian.co.uk as well. 
says meat must be rationed to four portions a week, says report on climate change. Tuesday, the September the 30th. Now remember that article I, I read too um, from a book that, Nick, uh, that was passed around to the congressman on the congressional steps by Newt Gingrich a few years ago called The Third Wave. And the author of that was the author of Future Shock, a guy who's a futurist who's in and on, on the big plans. And he mentions in the book that eventually the system they will bring in is a vegetarian world, and it must be so. He doesn't say why. But I'll continue this Guardian story after these messages. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I was recapping some of the previous articles I've read about how you get a whole warfare situation going with all that goes with warfare situations, because if you can get the whole world going through this kind of mode of thinking, we're a total war with rationing and terrorism everywhere, and the economy going down the tubes and we're fighting for our survival and all the rest of it and getting rationing on the go and refugees moving around that all brings it home we tend to obey governments and just get rushed along we're actually stampeding but they're guiding us at the very head of the herd and we just follow along and do what we're told and that's what they advocated from the club of rome that type of scenario we do what we're told and obey rules without question during times of warfare. So they've got to get all going for the century. And part of it, too, is rationing food. Now, The Guardian, Tuesday, September the 30th, 2008, talks about this. Now, listen to this. People will have to be rationed to four modest portions. Now, modest can be very small. depends who's deciding what modesty means. More, four uh, modest portions of meat and one liter of milk a week if the world is to avoid runaway climate change a major new report warns. And remember who put out that first idea of convincing the the public that they were responsible for global warming and so on, and even came up with the idea of global warming. And that was the Club of Rome. That's in their own book, The First Global Revolution. They tell you in there, they they admit to it that that was their idea. They dreamed it up as to dominate their lives with all to adapt by its reports and so on to the report by the Food Climate Research Network. Now, that's an NGO group. It's not a government group, you see. It's an NGO, the Soviet, the new Soviet, based at the University of Surrey, also says total food consumption should be reduced, especially low nutritional value treats, such as alcohol, sweets, and chocolates. It urges people to return to habits their mothers or grandmothers would have been familiar with, buying locally in-season products cooking in bulk and in pots with lids or pressure cookers, avoiding waste and walking to the shops, alongside more modern tips such as using the microwave and internet shopping. The report goes much further than any previous advice after mounting concern about the impact of the livestock industry on greenhouse gases. Now, do you remember that farce they had a, a few years ago with the, the, the prion they suddenly discovered, but only one place could, could actually find it. It's a high government lab. 
and they were the only ones who, who could identify this prion that caused the mad cow disease, and they basically wiped out the food industry, the meat industry of Britain. They had pyramids in the newspaper, pyramids of burning cattle and pigs. You, you, wouldn't, you couldn't believe it. It was incredible what they did. And here they're going at it again, you see. It follows a four-year study of the impact of food on climate change and is thought to be the most thorough study of its kind, which means nothing at all. Tarak Garnett, the report's author, warned that campaigns encouraging people to change their habits voluntarily were doomed to fail and urged the government, see, to use caps on greenhouse gas emissions and carbon pricing. Carbon pricing means pricing the food out of existence, folks, to ensure changes were made. Food is important to us in a great many cultural and symbolic ways. No kidding. No kidding, eh? And our food choices are affected by cost, time, habit, and other influences, the report says. Study upon study has shown that awareness-raising campaigns alone are unlikely to work, particularly when it comes to more difficult changes. The report's findings are in line with an investigation by the October edition of the Ecologist magazine, another big one, you see, which found that arguments for people to go vegetarian or vegan to stop climate change and reduce pressure on rising food prices were exaggerated and would damage the developing world, in particular where many people depend on animals for essential food, other products such as leather and wool, and for manure and help in tilling fields to grow their crops. Instead, it recommended cutting meat consumption by at least half and making sure animals were fed as much as possible on grass and food waste which could not be eaten by humans. You know, the cattle used to eat grass all the time, so the big boys, you know the big names too, the same ones that are into the GMO foods, came up with the pellets and so on, to, and, and that's why they're affecting them, by the way. You should see some of the, the, the documentation that's come out of Monsanto's feed and what's happened to the male pigs who become suddenly sterile within two weeks. But that's another story. And that's from the, the modified corn, by the way those who like cornflakes. But getting back to this article, the notion that cows and sheep are four-legged weapons of mass destruction has become something of a distraction from the real issues in both climate change and food production, said Pat Thomas, the college's editor. The head of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, Rajendra Pachuri, also sparked global debate this month when he urged people to have at least one meat-free day a week. So, what I'm showing you here is the united front method. Whatever thing is, is coming from different sources on the same topics at the same time, you have a united front. This is coordinated, you see. Coordination is very important to them. It's like when Bush and, and Condoleezza and all the rest of the gang come out and they, they say weapons of mass destruction independently of each other. They're told to parrot these phrases to the public. And when you see the same articles appearing from all the big sources, from the big players who have a stake in this, a stake is no pun, by the way, then you know it's a coordinated thing. And I'll be back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and I was rambling on there about the coming vegetarian world because they say it must be so they don't tell you why it must be so but part of the reason is that you'll be on their GMO food this modified stuff that is top secret you know, all this stuff they went into is top secret and look at the people who helped make it you'll find they all belong to the old IG Farben groups you know those nice guys during World War II they made all kinds of fancy chemicals and these are the characters who are now making the food because they love you they love you so much they want to see you fit and healthy and these characters too are involved in various kinds of research why would you bring thousands of specialists in genetics together to make a better carrot these specialists obviously don't work just with the food industry they work in warfare industries as well. We already see the effects of the GM food on people. It's having the same effect on people as it did on the rats and mice. It gives them cancers of the stomach and a whole, whole host of other things. It's engineered that way, plus it's so dosed with chemicals, 10 times as much pesticides as the old stuff used to get, and the plants soak that stuff up. There's no point just washing it off. It's in the plant itself. Not only that, the plant's engineered to create its own insecticides. And you're eating that too. It's just amazing what's really going on. And the public are kept in the dark, so much in the dark, in fact. As I say, Canadians were eating this stuff for 10 years. And the only people who knew were, was the Canadian government. You know those ones who represent the people? And it was done with a secret agreement between the government and Monsanto. Of course, they'd be studying the health effects, too, to see if we were coming down with the rate of illnesses where we were supposed to, no doubt. And that's why we weren't told. And in fact, if it hadn't broken out from Britain, we'd never have known. We'd never have known. So, people that are at war with the people, basically. You'll find, too, that the pesticides they use on these particular products always cause the same kind of things, apart from cancers and so on. They also cause sterility, quite an amazing thing, since they want to reduce the populations. After all, this is a time for total war. Total war. Uh, it's just astounding what's really going on, if people could understand it. And here's the thing, too, I should mention as well. Sometimes people will hit me and say, but what's the good news, Alan? See, we've all been trained that way. We've watched all the movies, and the heroes generally win at the end. And you're given the good news, that somehow evil cannot triumph. My answer to that is to look at your history, the real history, not the five-year-old books that you get in school, but the advanced books with depth and data in it. And you'll find that evil has won frequently in the past. The plans of very wise men have come to fruition and they've won many, many times before because they're the only ones who are organized and they have the power to make it happen. When you control the, the money and the, the financing of the planet, it's no big deal to have a thousand points of light or think tanks headed by another thousand points of light working towards the agenda for you. It's no big deal whatsoever. And that's in the education system through the media and so on. And they're all, as I say, they all create a united front and give the same 
stories and the same opinions which become your opinions. That's how simple it is. Before I go to the callers, there's one more article I must read tonight. It's about, it's from the U.S. Army Field Manual, 6th of October 2008. And there's two versions of it, one for the public and one, I guess, for the military itself. And you should read both of them because the one for the public is always sort of watered down and they try to turn the soldiers into peacekeepers. You know, war is peace and all that. Orwellian stuff. It says here, Today the nation is embarking on a journey into an uncertain future where regional conflicts threaten to expand as a result of increased global competition for natural resources. Now that ties in with an article I read last week where they talked about the U.S. Since this is the new American century, they must go after all natural resources. They must plunder them, basically and get them any way they can from emerging nations or existing nations by any means possible, including using the American culture, which is toxic. You see, they've weaponized the culture to bring down societies from within, which is interesting because that's exactly what Khrushchev said about America and what would happen to America back in the 1960s. Well, he was right. It has been done. And it wasn't done by chance, and it wasn't done because the people demanded it either. It was because the culture industry was all part of the bringing down process. And the CIA ran the culture industry. It says here, rising population expectations, unrestricted or unrestrained technological diffusion, and a global economy struggling to meet mounting demands from emerging markets in third world countries. America's future abroad is unlikely to resemble Afghanistan or Iraq, where we grapple with the burden of nation-building. They call it nation-building as they steal and plunder. That's it, under fire. Instead, we confront a landscape marked by emerging nations discontented with the status quo. They don't like being plundered. It's a strange response that people have done through time and history. Flushed with wealth and ambition and seeking a new global balance of power, here, the greatest threat to our national security comes not in the form of violent extremism or ambitious powers, but from the fragile states, either unable or unwilling to provide for the most basic needs of their people. That's why the U.S. went into Afghanistan and using total war, they went after all the resources. They, they blew up all the drinking water plants. They blew up the food manufacturing plants. They blew it all up, you see. They made sure they had no ability to sort of satisfy their basic needs. The character of this environment is unlike any other in recent American history, where military forces operating among the people of the world decide the major battles and engagements. Here, the margin of victory is measured in far different terms from the wars of our past. Now and in the future, the allegiance, trust, and confidence of the people in the operational area may be the surest means to win the peace. However, time may be the ultimate arbiter of success, time to bring safety and security to an embattled populace, time to provide for the essential, immediate humanitarian needs of the people. <laughs> it's, it's so hypocritical, but that's written by PR people, you see, for the military. And then they go on and on and on. But they, they talk about using uh, soft, soft actors. Soft actors are, is a term they use for NGOs. And they'll put NGO groups in once they take these countries over, non-governmental organizations or the Sovietized system. That's what it is, to, to make those countries.
violates the British and American way. It says, in this era of persistent conflict, persistent conflict, remember the article I read last week, we will work through and with the community of nations to defeat insurgency, and that means uprisings as well, anywhere in the world, including back home, assist fragile states and provide vital humanitarian aid to the suffering, and probably a cheap bullet. Achieving victory will assume new dimensions as we strengthen our ability to generate soft power, soft power again at the NGOs with all the propaganda machinery, to promote participation in government, spur economic development, and address the root causes of conflict among the disenfranchised populations of the world. Military success alone will not be sufficient to prevail in this environment. To confront the challenges before us, we must strengthen the capacity of other elements of national power, leveraging the full potential of our interagency partners. Interagency partners. At the heart of this effort is a comprehensive approach to stability operations that integrates the tools of statecraft with their military forces, international partners, humanitarian organizations, and the private sector. Again, that's the foundations and the NGOs. The comprehensive approach ensures a unity of effort among a very rich and diverse group of actors while fostering the development of new capabilities. Use actors, by the way, because it's a theater of war. Use the term actors right in this document to shape the operational environment in ways that will preclude the requirement for future military intervention. It means you put up a, a puppet government and you train a generation to emulate the one who rules it. It, post, it postures the military to perform a role common throughout our history, ensuring the safety and security of the local populace. Did you know that was the common role of the military down through history? It was to ensure the safety and security of the local populace. I hope you know that now and understand that assisting with reconstruction. That's what the army is. You see, they're a form of social work. That's what they're really there for. And providing basic sustenance and public services. That's why they starved Iraq and put by an embargo to stop basic, basic sustenance. Equally important, it, redef- it defines the role of military forces in support of the civilian agencies charged with leading these complex endeavors. Now, the civilian agencies, again, are your NGOs, your big uh, authorized groups, the Red Cross, etc., and also the United Nations government agencies. That's what they're talking about here. So much for democracy. In fact, democracy isn't mentioned anyway. They've dropped the word now, which is good of them, because I used to be so, again, hypocritical when they used it, especially the United Nations, because no one elects the United Nations. You see, they're just there as a corporation. In a comprehensive approach, military forces establish conditions that facilitate the efforts of other instruments of national and international power, providing the requisite security and control to stabilize an operational area. Army Field Manual 3-07, Stability Operations, addresses military stability operations within the border or the broader context of the United States government. The broader context. That's really very broad because we never get to see it reconstruction and stabilization efforts. It describes the role of military forces in supporting those broader efforts by leveraging the coercive and constructive capabilities of the force to establish a safe and secure environment, facilitate reconciliation among local or regional adversaries, establish political, legal, social, and economic institutions, and that would set up a mirror of your own country. That's what it's about, you see. And help transition, help the change responsibility to a legitimate 
legitimate civil authority operating under the rule of law. In other words, they're going to be the same as every other country that used to think it was free. This transition is fundamental to the shift in focus towards long-term development activities where military forces support broader efforts in pursuit of national and international objectives. Now, how could it do both? How can it do national and international objectives? It's because we have no nations. We're already international, and there is an international body governing all of this, this big show. It says success in these endeavors typically requires long-term commitment by external actors and is ultimately determined by the support and participation of the host nation populace. And they make sure that the host nation accepts it after being pounded and pounded and pounded for long enough. That's how it's done. We used to read the old history books about Rome. Rome never has said that it was going to plunder a country. They all were always going in to vanquish heathenism or barbarians and bring them civilization. We hear the same things used today as the pirates plunder and rape and pillage and bring into being what they call their new world order where the natural aristocracy should rule over the profane. And that is what it's all really, really about. The pirates are in charge and they've been in charge for a long time. It was interesting to see Mr. Mr. Tony Blair who recently became Catholic in a political move and immediately start up an organization, at least get put at the head of it, that was going to bring all faiths together. All faiths together because, you see, they would never ever bypass the Catholic Church. It's a big, massive institution and millions of people still follow the faith even though those at the top were taken over long ago. You wouldn't throw it away. It's too handy. It's too handy a tool to use and there he is bringing intergovernment, well, basically interfaith things all together on the premise that no particular one can claim to be right. That's what they all must understand. And that's a must-be in today's society. No one can claim to have the truth, which means that all those religions have no truth at all in that case. If you sit and think about it, you see. So there they are. They use all means possible and they always use religion. And why bypass something that's already set up, even though it's conquered at the top? They don't, they don't miss a trick. Meanwhile, they have the New Agers all dancing around in glee, looking to bring in this new wonderful world where we can all be one and all be com- connected to each other. Have you looked around you recently? Have you looked at the people around you? Would you like truly to be all one with them? Would you like them inside your head? Think about it. Really, really think about it. It's a scary thought. Very scary thought. Now, I'll go, I think we have time for a couple of callers. And there's, there's Kyle in Connecticut there. Are you there, Kyle? Alan. Yes. Good to hear you tonight. How yeah. you doing? Not so bad. Isn't it funny how, uh, you know, a fisherman uses a net to catch its fish? Yep. And they've caught everybody with this Christianity. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, they've used them to bring us up to this point, and they think they're all going to get uh, raptured or something. Well, I think I think the term now is ruptured. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you, do you think the internet is just another tool to uh, kind of gather everybody up together? Yes, Brzezinski said so in his book Between Two Ages. Yes. Before before they even gave it to us, he said we're going to be given a means of communication that will help bring in a global-type culture, and that's what it's for, too. It also creates massive confusion, but more than ever, it helps to um, monitor everyone, everyone's thoughts, personality profiles, every individual who goes on it and prattles on about whatever they like to prattle on about, is had a, that they have literally a, a clone of you inside a computer uh, acting like you with all of your character traits and so on. And they can predict what you will do in certain circumstances by the collection of this data. I've read the articles from the military academies about this very thing. So people just need to realize that there are no more civilians. It's total war against every hum- human being on this planet. Yes, and it has been going on for quite a long time. And all major religions will be used, and once they take over the Muslims, that they will be used too. I just can't get on about these uh, New Agers who think that they create, you know, this beautiful reality just, you know, by imagining it. Well, they can have the images in the mind, and they worship an image of something. Some people know what it is, some don't. I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And we'll go to Vernon from New Hampshire. Are you there, Vernon? Hello? Yes. How are you, how are you doing this evening, Alan? I'm hanging in here. Okay, that's good to hear. just want to ask you a quick question before you get all over the show. Um, at any time in human existence, was there ever a time when there was a fair playing field between us, conscious humans, and the ruling elite, or if there was, what was the scheme or the con that gave the elite the upper hand they have on us today? Uh, the con was was the invention of a substitute for barter, which in early forms was money, although it was weighed out at one time. It was mainly silver and then gold. It was weighed out, and then getting the populaces to accept it. Then the second con was actually that the first con was to create the city and then have the people inside who needed this thing called money. Uh, and then with the money, you could, you could hire, you could tax from them and then create armies and pay them with the same money. Uh, and armies can go off and conquer. So the first thing really was the creation of the city. That's why the big occultic boys go always mention Nimrod, their big hero, who literally is uh, the Satan figure, the rebel. And he creates the first city. His emblem is the city, as it was his wife, Samiramis. And uh, they went off to conquer the rural areas. And really, when you look at empire building, all they've done through time, uh, especially in the Roman era, was to plunder countries, introduce the money system, and then start taxing it back from them, and then building big projects, build big building projects, roadways, buildings, and so on, with 
with the money they taxed from them. So the introduction of what they call a commercialized system was theirs from the very beginning. Yeah. Okay, so before that, we were all like on a fair playing field and everything was like all equal in life, right? There was more chance because most peoples lived in, in tribes. They, have, they had a chief and often they elected a chief for a certain point of time. If the chief got too big for his boots and wanted to continue a, a dynasty and got a few henchmen, there was all, always enough people in the tribe to, to get rid of him. Once you have a standing army, you can't do it quite so easily. And even the founding fathers of America had debates about, in fact, to satisfy the people. They knew this stuff, uh, that uh, standing armies were always turned against the populace. Uh, they knew this. So um, standing armies is a big problem. And again, you can only employ a standing army if you can pay them with money. If you can't, don't have money, they just go home after a while to get bored. Okay, so then so one could say that the elite, they might be a subspecies from the rest of us conscious humans then. They certainly are a separate species in that they, they know the wisdom of the ages, as they call it. They have the archives of histories. They use philosophy and history to the maximum. Old Ben Rockefeller will say that in so many speeches. He says, if you don't know your history, then you're doomed to failure. And he's also speaking from his own point of view and his own kind's point of view. Because whatever man has been able to do in the past, or you've done with mankind in the past through culture, you can repeat it. You can make people do anything you want if you know the formula. And Plato said that. So this understanding of human nature has been exploited for thousands of years at least. Yeah. Well, okay. thanks for calling. That's the music coming in for the end of tonight's show. It's been a rush through as always. And from Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada... It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.